This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books? I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated books and comics show. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me once again, as he is every single week, is my esteemed co-host from Texas, Matthew Rushing. Matthew, how's everything going today? You know, Chris, it's going pretty good. Um, You know, classic Texas weather, it's kind of warm and muggy, Uh, you know, wants to rain, but it won't. So, yeah, just uh, it's it's nice. I mean, you know, I guess we're finally done with the cold here. So, what are you gonna do? Luckily, it's not a hundred, so I'm thankful for that. And things could be worse. You know, there, there could be a whole battalion of Gorn invading your area right now, coming to render medical assistance to you, but really scaring the hell out of you at the same time. Yeah, I mean, there could be that. Uh, there could be Romulans with secret, you know starship weapons that trying to blow us out of the sky i orion slave girl assassins i mean list goes on and on i have a feeling though that you're willing to take your chances with assassination uh, to have some orions visit you uh well i mean yeah uh, i guess as long as they're not those you know just huge gargantuan you know uh, oh, I'm talking about yeah, female I mean, Orions. Oh, okay. Well, I, yes, yeah, yes, I don't. Yes. Who would say no to that? So. Right, right. Well, those are all teasers for what we're going to talk about in the feature today as we continue our look at IDW's Alien Spotlight comics. Last week we did Andorians, Borg, and Cardassians. This week we're going to finish off the first set with Gorn, Romulans, Falcons, and Orions. Before we do that, though, let's jump into the news, Matthew. We've got a couple of stories this week. A couple of bits came out on Trek Collective, including the missing cover and blurb to some upcoming Deep Space Nine stories. That's right. Now, this wasn't a missing cover. It's just the cover for The Missing, which, um, according to the Trek Collective, actually was released a little bit early. It shouldn't have actually come out yet, but... We've already all seen it. Reflection is very important there, isn't it? Yes, it is. Not the missing cover, but the missing cover. That's right. Uh, Which means, Chris, that it's time for another edition of... Judge a book by its cover. We're going to judge a book by its cover. We're going to judge a book by its cover. You know we got to do it because you love it. We're going to judge a book by its cover. (laughs) I never know what to expect. Every I, we're getting I, feedback on on your ditties on Twitter. Even someone told you you shouldn't quit your day job, though. Yeah, they're they're probably right. Um, <laughs> I mean, I could apologize for this, but it's never going to die. Um, it's like hashtags on Jimmy Fallon. Okay, guys, just get used to it. It's not as cool, <laughs> and I'm not Jimmy Fallon, so dang it. 
Anyway, so this cover, though, Chris, is pretty epic. I mean, I I really, I don't know if sufficiently exciting is a good enough, uh, you know, title for this cover because this really is uh, a gorgeous cover, I, w- I would say. Yes, Matthew, this, this is actually what I tweeted yesterday, that the file that Matthew just added to the show outline for Literary Treks I'm preemptively deeming it sufficiently exciting because this looks like it brings me back to some of the great battles from Deep Space Nine from the series during the Dominion War. This is, uh, I, I, I don't even want to, to know what's going to go down here as this armada is approaching the new Deep Space Nine. This looks like some serious stuff. It does. It does. I mean, um, and with the title... Uh, and, and the idea that's coming from the blurb as well, this is definitely sufficiently exciting. I, I think it'll help if we tie this into the blurb. It, it says that DS9 has once again become a, a, an important station for the Alpha Quadrant uh, for many different people with many different agendas and uniquely crewed by representatives of different species from the Kittimer Powers and the Typhon Pack. The Federation science and exploration vessel Athene Donald stops at the station and it uh, final port of call before it's heading out into uncharted territories. And apparently this is the brainchild of my favorite, I mean, not so favorite doctor, Catherine Pulaski, <laughs> who hopes that science will do what diplomacy cannot and help these various powers come back together um, in return to scientific research and exploration of space. On DS9, base commander Ro Laren has her hands full with the sudden arrival of a ragtag flotilla. Uh, and so um, that is what all these small ships are. At least they look. They it says small, but they on the the cover there. I mean, they're not small. Yeah, they don't look small. So, but apparently mm-hmm. this this flotilla of small ships crewed by a group calling themselves People of the Open Sky. Uh, so Roe has uh, her hands full with this first contact opportunity, and uh, they describe themselves as explorers, and they're interested. And everything about the station, and Roe apparently begins to enjoy the assignment, particularly as she takes counsel from the logs of Jean-Luc Picard, which should be interesting um, because it looks like um, those two have always had that kind of contentious relationship. And, right. and yeah. actually, uh, when they met the last time, it, it actually went well. So I'm interested right. to see. Yeah. Um, and so Blackmere, uh, however, their station security uh, or I guess their new constable is uh, much more suspicious of these apparently friendly arrivals. And so just a lot of things going on in this book. Uh, apparently Una is just packing this with awesomeness. And and so uh, it looks really exciting. Now, first I'm going to say, if Catherine Pulaski usurps the, the, the place of Dr. Crusher in this book, again, I'm not going to be happy. <laughs> I have to ask you about the the Pulaski thing here. When I think of someone, well, well, I suppose it says science will do what diplomacy alone cannot. You know, Pulaski is not exactly the model of diplomacy for me. I mean, has has something been established that would lead us to Dr. Pulaski being involved in this plan? Or is this something that maybe Una has picked up on and is developing that's that? 
is new for me anyway. I, you know, honestly, it's new for me. I mean, the thought of Pulaski doing anything but irritating people and giving people bad advice for haircuts, uh, I just, <laughs> I can't see it happening. So, um, Not just haircuts, though, but also, like she told Data in the cutscene from The Measure of a Man, he should, you know, buy a timeshare, move to a planet. Yeah, now that he's not going to be in Starfleet anymore. Yeah, I mean, she <laughs> apparently enjoys her pantsuits and uh, yeah, <laughs> and Kyle Riker exactly, and yeah. Kyle Riker. Oh um, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so this is going to be really interesting. There's a lot going on in this book. It sounds epic, and and I love that it's uh, in a novel set in the universe of Deep Space Nine. It's a direct sequel to The Fall. We're getting a Deep Space Nine book finally. It's been so long, so bring it on. I'm really ready. Now, the next thing that we have is another blurb, and this is about Foul Deeds Will Rise, which we've talked about a little bit. This is a movie era novel. Now we find out a little bit more. It says that in the year 2288, not long after the events of Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, Captain James T. Kirk, in command of the Enterprise A, is on a peacekeeping mission to an independent star system where two rival planets, Oyolo and Pavak, are attempting to negotiate a settlement after years of bitter conflict. I'm looking forward to this because, you know, Oyolo and Pavak, weren't they on that 80s sitcom? Weren't they the ones with um, Bowser? What was his name? Yeah, that. Perfect Strangers. Yeah, Perfect Strangers, (laughs) or I felt like they were maybe visitors on Bosom Buddies. Uh, Oh, maybe, yeah. You know. They uh, lived across the hall in Bosom Buddies. Yeah, I think they did. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, anyway, Oyolo has fought violently against Pavak's past attempts to exploit and colonize the uh, the worlds there. But uh, there are atrocities and bloodshed on both sides, and neither world is aligned with the Federation. And uh, so this the Federation is aware of the situation in the sector, but they've stayed out of the conflict until now. They've been requested to act as a mediator uh, beyond the obvious humanitarian motives, Starfleet has a vested interest in promoting peace in this troubled region. Interplanetary wars are in no one's best interests, especially for Kirk, when assassination committed to disrupt the peace process is involved. What do you think, Matthew? Well, uh, you know, this is exciting to me. One, it's a, in the movie era. I love the movie era. Uh, I love movie era Kirk. I love the Enterprise A. Um and, uh, you know, filling in that time gap between uh, Star Trek V and Star Trek VI, there's really a lot that can happen there. Um, I'm glad that Greg Cox is um, going to be exploring this era. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just excited. You know, Chris, it reminds me, uh, you know, we did back a while back, um, Shadows on the Sun, you know, it's yeah. also a movie era novel mm-hmm. that has flashbacks with McCoy. I just remember those great old hardcover books that would come out, you know, uh, for Star Trek, and it seemed like an event, you know. Um, and this yeah. just kind of reminds me of that kind of story. It, it's it's it is a standalone, but it, it just seems to like it'll be a great story. Um, something you know in a time period we haven't seen a ton of uh, recently, and so this I'm glad of. You know, especially since it seems like the the TOS novels this year, you know, they're they're adding some some different things. It's not just five-year mission stuff, but it's, you know, in that movie era, which I don't really think gets exploited enough in in the novels because there's really a lot of time to, to explore 
You know, I mean, you can mine the five-year mission all you want, but you could also mine that movie era. I mean, those those movies take place in like what, maybe a few weeks at a time. You know, you have mm-hmm. another whole another twenty years of of right. service for that crew. Yeah. So, I just think I just think uh, that it's it's something that Pocket should do more of, and I'm really excited. Um, that Greg Cox is going to be bringing us foul deeds will rise. Absolutely. And as when we had Greg on the show a couple of weeks ago, and when we talked about this, and like I said, then, you know, those movie characters are probably my favorite versions, especially for Kirk of the TOS characters. So I'm always up for more movie era stuff as well. The next title we have, Matthew, something that I really want to hear your thoughts on. This is info about light. Fantastic. The, uh, the post-Cold Equations data novel, which we've talked about here on the show quite a bit, but it's been a while since we've touched on it. Uh, we've got some new information about it here. Yeah, this is from uh, Jeffrey Lang's blog. He just started a brand new blog. And a few of the the, the very first posts were on first the the, the um, reason for writing this book and, and you know some of the, the background in that with Margaret Clark and uh, figure out what he's going to do. And, and then the second post really had a, a, a kind of an outline, five different points of things that that were going to happen. And one of, one of them is this This isn't going to be a ship-based story. The Enterprise-E does make a brief appearance, but really Noonien's own ship is, is really going to be the only thing you'll see. Uh, and it actually has its own uh, autopilot. Um, and so... This isn't this isn't going to be that kind of book, really. Apparently, this book is going to take place in a casino, uh, and it's going to have a very uh, Ocean's Eleven plot structure. And huh. apparently, Data is going to be that casino owner. Um, and so, this is going to be very interesting as a Star Trek book. Um, I don't even know if you put this under a Star Trek: The Next Generation title. It just maybe, you know, Star Trek. Ocean's Eleven. Okay. Know? Or like, how about Star Trek, the Royale? The Royale. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, so. Is Data going to say baby needs a new pair of shoes in here? You know, he might. Um, <laughs> you know, I have no idea. Um, I'm wondering who's going to be the, the, the Brad Pitt character um, or the, the Dean Martin style character, you know, in Ocean's mm-hmm. Eleven. Either yeah. they're always going to be eating junk food or have a, a you know, a, a glass of scotch in their hands, you know, just always eating or drinking or something. So I don't know. This is a really interesting thing. I mean, he's bringing law back. Um, Moriarty is back in this book. There's going to be a lot of guest stars. He said as well. Um, and, uh, he said he may even find a way to insert a couple of cameos from TOS characters. Cause why not? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so this book is, I don't know what to expect at all, Chris. I really don't. Uh, but I'm hoping that it's fun. Um, you know, he does make a point of, look, Data is no longer in Starfleet. And um, so because of that, I have no idea what's going to happen to this book. It sounds interesting for sure. So I'll look forward to it coming out. And um, hopefully we can get Jeffrey on the show here and... and talk about it after it comes out and find out uh, how this all came together, because this is quite different than, than the normal Star Trek book. And the, the whole thought process of pulling this together has to be uh, both fun and, and different. So yeah, definitely looking forward to it. 
All right. Well, that's all we have in news today. But before we jump into the feature here and jump into the Spotlight Comics, we'd like to tell you about our sponsor for today's show, and that's Audible.com. Audible is the best source for audiobooks online. You'll find more than 150,000 titles there to choose from. And, you know, not just Star Trek books, but anything. They've got new new releases that come out these days, typically come out in hardcover or paperback. They also have an audio version that comes along with them. And whether it's science fiction or, or business or nonfiction, whatever you, you want to read and listen to, you can find it over there at Audible. We like to recommend a book to you every week. And Matthew, I think this book came up, I'm pretty sure it came up when we talked to Greg Cox. And today, as we were talking about more stories set in the movie era of Star Trek, I'd like to recommend Probe. Probe is the follow-up to Star Trek for The Voyage Home. And I, I read this when it came out. Have you read this book before, Matthew? You know, Chris, I did a long time ago when I, long time when I ago, yeah. you know, got into Star Trek and then realized, obviously, they're novels. You know, I had seen the movies. And so it has been so long since I read Probe. Um, it, it's hard for me to even remember what happened in the book because we're talking Same here, probably yeah. 20 years yeah, 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 exactly. Same for me. Well, this was written by Margaret Wonder Bonanno, and it's narrated by James Doohan. And here is just basically the storyline, according to the publisher's synopsis. So we won't give anything away here. Ten years have passed since Captain Kirk and the Enterprise crew brought back humpbacked whales, not people, Scotty, whales, from the 20th century to communicate with the mysterious probe which threatened Earth. The probe is returning to Earth and has plotted its course, and the Enterprise must continue to delve into the mystery of its language and its cosmic purpose to save Earth once again. And what what I find interesting about that probe, Matthew, it reminds me in some ways of Arthur C. Clarke's very famous book, Rendezvous with Rama. And they he wrote sequels to that with Gentry Lee. They did Rama 2. Garden of Rama, Rama Revealed. But the original Rama book was so wonderful because it was still a mystery, kind of like the probe was in Star Trek IV, that when it leaves Earth, you still really don't know what that was all about. It's kind of a mysterious object. And so, so these kinds of stories are very interesting to me. And this one is enhanced with sound effects and an original musical score. And like I said, it's narrated by James Doohan. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get Probe or any book you want absolutely free just for trying Audible. And the way you do that is to go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up and try Audible. Choose Probe or anything you want. And if at the end of the trial period you decide not to stick with Audible, you get to keep that book. So that's yours absolutely free. So there's nothing to lose. But if you love podcasts and you're not listening to audiobooks already, you're going to love them. And if you are listening to audiobooks, but maybe, you know, you pick them up through iTunes or you pick them up in the bookstores on CD, whatever, try Audible. It's the easiest way to get your books. You're going to absolutely love it. And by supporting Audible, you're helping us keep literary tracks and all of our shows coming to you every week. And again, that's at audibletrial.com slash trekafilm. And we really thank Audible for their support of the network. Well, Chris, we're glad to have everybody back this week. We are going to be finishing up the Spotlight comics that we started last week, and we did three then. And uh, this week we're going to tackle four. We've got uh, Vulcans, Orions, 
Romulans and Gorn. And so, uh, on a whole, uh, enjoyed last week's uh, selection. I thought they were good and interesting and um, uh, really fun to see the artists and, and the story creators just kind of go with something, you know, really try and do something big and bold for most of the time. And so it's, it's very interesting. So tonight we're going to start with Vulcans. We're going to just kind of jump right in. And what's interesting with this for me was that this is actually uh, Spock's first mission with Pike. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I thought that that was kind of an interesting place to start. You know, Spock being the most famous Vulcan, we're going to talk about Vulcans now. I do have to say, before we even just get started here, Chris, though, uh, when I thought of them doing Vulcans, this isn't a, automatically where I thought you might start since this is after Enterprise. Yeah, um, me neither. I, yeah, I thought that, you know, if you're going to do Vulcans, wouldn't it be kind of interesting to like see Vulcans that we haven't seen before, maybe in that in-between time between Enterprise and and uh, and uh, the original series more so there and kind of get that kind of background. So. I was a little disappointed, just say at the beginning, because I thought, "Oh, great, Vulcans! Let's let's do that." And then, oh well, I, you know, it's Spock. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you there as well. I was not expecting it to be a Spock story. Now, it is a Spock story, and it does lead in. I, I feel like this story requires a little bit of. Is retconning the word really? I guess I'm not sure if retconning is exactly what I'm talking about here, but you know the way that Leonard Nimoy played Spock in the cage and in where no man has gone before. Those early episodes, especially those two, were a little bit different than what we came to know as Spock and, and what we think of as Spock. Deflector shields at maximum, Captain. <laughs> Well, not just Spock Bob shouty pants, but also the fact that, you know, he smiles a lot more. There's a yes, lot more yes, emotion to to the role than we remember, and it is toned down a bit later. So on the one hand, this comic is interesting in showing us that first mission and showing how the crew is trying to get used to having this very, very cold, logical Vulcan on the ship. But there's a little bit of a disconnect as well because the the way Spock is portrayed in this comic is a little bit out of line with the early Spock that we knew with Pike. Yeah, Chris, I think that that's the other thing is, as I read through the comic, I I was a little thrown off because as you said, this isn't what Spock was like um, during that time period, at least on screen. Um, Now, I guess we could, you know, go back in our brains and kind of retcon the performance. But yeah, it's kind of hard to do, especially if you watch The Cage and Where No Man Has Gone Before. They are different portrayals, um, really. And, and obviously they get progressively more and more toned down until you get to, you know, um, the actual original series. And Spock has played much more with an even keel. You know, he, he's not shouting. He doesn't right. smile, really. Um except for very, very, very rare occasions when he's really heckled McCoy. And I feel like he's kind of like Sheldon on the big thing theory. And he's like, <laughs> you know, like he's, yeah, he's just really gotten himself uh, tickled by something he said. Yeah. So, um, but I, I, what's really interesting about the comic is, is I think what you said, Chris, the story is so straightforward. It's Spock, his first mission. And, and the, it's really about the crew of the enterprise 
trying to get used to a very cold and what they feel is is a completely unemotional, detached being in their midst. And and I think the the biggest issue that was interesting here was seeing how um, homogenized Starfleet is at this point. Um, right. There actually isn't in any single panel that you see on the Enterprise another alien. Um, Spock is literally one of a kind on the Enterprise. And um, the, the crew is having a very hard time getting used to him. Um, and I, I think that that's interesting, but it's also really just been explored, I feel like, to death um, with the original series and yeah. Spock in general. Well, not only that, but, you know, it reminds me, this story reminds me of the same setup of T'Pol and Archer and T'Pol being this first Vulcan on this Earth ship and being very, very cold and then how the crew had to adapt to that and how she had to adapt to them. And and it made more sense there because that was in the 22nd century and at this point, it's, see, I don't know, like, how how integrated were the ships? And this is something that's really interesting that I was talking to Alec Peters, who is doing Star Trek Axanar, a new independent film, on a continuing mission last week. And he talked about this exact point of how we see the crews. Like, I asked him, did you guys resist the urge to put A-Rex on a ship somewhere? And he said their take on it is that Starfleet intentionally segregated the crews as a way of keeping the Klingons off balance during the four-year war. So the Klingons didn't know who they were fighting because each, you know, the Tellarites and the Andorians and the Vulcans and the humans had different tactics. And so they had Starfleet vessels, but they would be crewed kind of entirely by Andorians or entirely by Vulcans. And so in that, if that's true... If that's what's really going on, then I can understand how it can be the 23rd century. And this is the first time that any of these human Starfleet officers have served the Vulcan on the ship. But on the other hand, it just feels like they should kind of be over this by now. Well, and the other thing was, is, I mean, that's that's kind of a cool idea, I guess, for the, the fan series. But we, we, we know from from Manny Koto's Magic Bag of Hindsight that mm-hmm. uh, Shran was going to be most likely joining Enterprise as a crew member. Right. And right. therefore, most likely Starfleet at the same time. So the first Starship, Enterprise, uh, from you know, the United Earth Space Agency, uh, was going to have um, a Vulcan and then an, an Andorian as well. And so... Mm-hmm. And of I, course I a Denobulan, because Flux and, is And there. a Denobulan, exactly. So, um, I mean, and, and that... I mean, how many crew members, Chris, does the Enterprise uh, NX-01 have? Like 83? Yeah, um, something like, like it's, that. It's, it's, a, it's a very small crew. So, much. I mean, you already have four crew members out of 83 that are alien. Um, and so, again, this is, is kind of strange. Now, obviously, we see the original series, and the and I, I can retcon in my brain because it, it needs to be retconned. The reason there aren't more aliens is because they don't have enough money. Right. That's the only reason that there are right. not more aliens in the show. I mean, it's the reason Klingons look the way they do. It's the reason Wamulans look the way they do. It's the reason, you know, they all, everything looks the way it does. So, um, but yeah, this this comic is was interesting in that at the the end, this alien race that they've gone to this planet to try and stop this war, they are very very intrigued 
with with Spock and his cold, calm demeanor. And and basically they're very um, drawn to this idea. And it's because of who Spock is that they are able to move forward, which that part was kind of interesting. The other part with, you know, Spock on the Enterprise with, you know, the crew trying to get used to him. Eh. So, and the, and the artwork here is, is, is really uh, strangely exaggerated, I think, too. Like, yeah. the characters, there's a lot of, it seems like, almost extra lines. And sometimes the characters seem extra wrinkly because of those extra lines on their faces right. and stuff. Yeah. But on a whole, it's it's not, like, a bad story or anything. I just, I kind of read it and was like, oh, okay. wow, it's kind that of like happened. a... Yeah, it's yeah. it's kind of like a meh Vulcan story. Like you 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 read a Vulcan comic and you don't really expect a lot because it's Vulcans. I mean, you're not really all that exciting, <laughs> right. you know. Unless they're in Pond Far, they're not really doing anything exciting. So right um, now, see now that would be a great comic series, an ongoing series. Star Trek Vulcan Pond Far. Yeah, like a you know, like, like a raid explicit a parental advisory label on it and everything. It's like a Big Brother style house with a bunch of pond faring Vulcans. Oh god! <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be, that'd be. Oh, how about like a, a Bachelor type series? Uh, yeah, where there you go. everyone's undergoing pond far, but but only one of them gets to mate at the end. So the rest of and, them die. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's kind yeah, of dark, yeah. but. It's also very interesting and exciting. So, well, you know, I, I think for me, it is a straightforward story. What, what I did take from it that, you know, that, that I see as an idea that I like is that even though I think it's odd that humans would be having to get accustomed to a Vulcan being on the ship in the 23rd century, it does highlight that the somewhere in between the emotion and the bigotry of humans and the logic and the the emotionless state of vulcans somewhere between that is is sort of where i think you're able to see the world and and cope with life and and move forward and and that's what so much is about with the forming of the federation is all these worlds moving forward and growing and so uh, Spock is the impetus for the human crew members to move beyond that bigotry that they have and kind of open their eyes a little bit more, even though, again, I think they should have already done this by now. And But if you're looking at this as being an episode of 60s television, then I guess it fits. Uh, and, and at the same time, that the humans are the impetus for Spock to start evolving beyond just the pure cold, you know, well, I calculated that it would be better to let the hostages die and save the uh, the rescue party. And it doesn't matter if one of them was your brother, you know, the math said otherwise. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that there are some some uh, there's some small um, nuggets of, of, of um, you know, platinum in here. Um, and it's relatively interesting in some places. And so, you know, I'd probably give it um, probably the six out of ten uh, stern Vulcan looks. OK, I'll give it I'm only going to give it four. I'm going to give it four racist crew members. Oh, wow. Goodness. Out of yeah. 10. Goodness. Out of 10, yeah. Wow. Like, you know, well, personally, I don't really want any more racist crew members right. hanging around. I mean, so, you know, yeah. You don't really want any, so. Well, next, uh, Chris, we have, I think, uh, what I could, I, I just, I, I don't know if I should put this out there, but, you know, maybe 
Uh, this this might be the part of the podcast that's teen rated, um, just because <laughs> uh, we're going to go to Orion's next. And if you know anything about Orion's, especially after Enterprise, things got a lot hotter and a lot sexier. And uh, these Orions are definitely wearing, shall we say, less than the Vulcans. You could say that, yeah. I mean, I don't want to see Spock wearing this outfit personally. Uh, no, uh, maybe a maybe to Paul, but maybe to Spock, Paul. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. So um, maybe this seven. was actually, I thought, Chris, uh, to me, this might be this might be my favorite because I didn't have any idea where this was going at all the whole time. Like, and it kept me guessing and. Um, it, it starts off with a, um, a guy at a bar, um, which is a CD bar. Uh, he is there to watch a, an Orion slave girl, um, do her magic on stage. Uh, so, uh, a 23rd century strip club and, um, he, uh, is in the backstage afterwards. He's like, I have to see her. And, and apparently he's got information, uh, something that she is very excited about. As long as he gives her the information, she's going to give him what he's been wanting. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, this is, this is very racy. Um, it's, uh, it's definitely a much, it starts off with a bang, shall we say. <laughs> Careful what you say, Matthew, um, because I think you're actually accurate on several fronts there. It wasn't double entendre. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, so I guess she's looking for someone and they go to Babel and they go to this uh, station and, and Pike is there. And Babel, it seems to be sort of like the um, like Nimbus 3 in Star Trek V. That's how it's portrayed. It's kind of like this peace conference uh, world. No one wants to be there. It's like this is where they say the washed up captains get to go and make small talk with people and doesn't look like the most exciting place. Yeah, there are less three-breasted cat people, though, in this, <laughs> um, in, at Babel. And so, yeah, I thought it was, right. this was kind of an interesting idea that um, obviously uh, Babel was seen in Enterprise. Um, and it will be seen again in Christopher Bennett's new book. Mm -hmm. Um, it's coming out and it has actually come out, which we are going to be talking about next week. Um, and so it's very interesting to see that this is kind of the, the place that the Federation has where it has a lot of different, um, species from the Federation coming together. Um, and so this was, was really cool. And, and that Pike has is here as really a kind of a guest of honor uh, at this point. And so, and he's, he's pretty bored. Uh, I love that. He's, he's, um, I can, I, like Kirk, I can imagine him being at this Kirk being at this conference too, and having the same problem. Like he is bored out of his skull. He just wants anything exciting to happen. Right. Really. It's the last place he wants to be. And so he actually goes for a walk in, in Babel and he sees a uh, a Tellarite and this Orion woman making out, and turns out that uh, she's going to try and stab him, and he stops that from happening. And then, of course, the Tellarite, being the Tellarite, pulls uh, uh, an illegal uh, weapon out as well to try and kill her. Pike keeps that from happening, 
and she does this really awesome flip thing. I mean, she looks like a James. Uh, yeah. She looks like like a Jason Bourne style character or whatever. Just yeah. a really cool scene. Uh, that's one thing I gotta say about this comic. It's got some great artwork and really inventive as well. So, and the Tellerites here are the Enterprise style Tellerites as well. So they are yes, you know, they p- are, which is pretty much what everyone does these days. Which I'm I'm glad of because they look more like aliens that you would actually meet yeah, as opposed to people. the TOS style. Yeah. Right. Um, so uh, it turns out that this uh, this Tellarite is actually somebody uh, who's there for the conference as well, and he's just as bored, and um, he doesn't... Pike's not really buying this guy's story. Um, and so he, he talks to um, Starfleet in, uh, Intelligence here and to try and get more information. And turns out that they want him to watch this Tellarite, which poor, you know, Pike is having another facepalm moment of like, this is the, I, I'm not, I don't want to bodyguard this guy. This is ridiculous. But good thing he is because it really turns out to be that this Tellarite is into some serious shenanigans. Um, he is like, I feel like he's like the, the Tellarite Godfather, you know, he's <laughs> he's running this um, this racket, uh, right. and he, he's willing to do whatever it takes to to, to keep it going. He's running a pork racket. Yes, he really is. Yeah, um, so you wouldn't want to get thrown in his meat locker. Um, <laughs> and uh, so Pike Pike tells uh, the the security officer that he talked to, look, I'm going to go search this guy's quarters. And so he goes to search the quarters. Um, he overhears a conversation that the Tellerite is having saying, um, yeah, I want this captain taken care of and I want it done right now, basically. Um, and as he's in the quarters, he runs into our Orion friend who is in, shall we say, even less than before. Yeah, she's got kind of a, she's almost like a green Wonder Woman here when they get into this fight. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, she's like She-Hulk and Wonder Woman put together. It's oh, it's pretty cool, actually. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So, She-Hulk um, and Wonder Woman put together. Yeah. So it turns out uh, they, they're they talking. She's she's uh, saying, look, we should team up so we can get this Tellarite. He's up to no good. Um, you can help me kill him. And she, he's, you know look, I, I can't kill this guy. And she starts trying to put the moves on her. And this is what I thought was really a cool thing. He says, um, that won't look work on me, lady. I've been mind controlled by the best in the galaxy. I know all the tricks. So I loved that callback to the cage, this idea yeah. that he knows that and, and, and he's well aware of when his mind is, is trying to be altered because he, it's been altered by the best in, in the galaxy that he knows of. So I thought that was really cool. So they walk out of this this Tellarite's quarters there, and who do they run into but the Tellarite and his gang? And it turns into West Side Story, and they start snapping. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yeah, and then they start. No, they don't. They don't do that. And then, oh my gosh, it is awesome. She really does turn into like Wonder Woman, She Hulk, and just right. kicks everybody's ass. Like yeah. it is incredible. She even I don't does, remember like, a fight scene quite like this in West Oh my Side gosh, Story. even the Andorian fight scene wasn't this good. So we want to we start talking about Orion fight scenes. Um, oh. Because 
Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, there's no, like, there, there isn't any great uh, sound clip for that. But, wow. She really does go all kung fu ninja on these guys. I think Kirk would call up and go, go, Bridge. Kirk, I've been attacked by an Orion. Yeah. And I like it. Don't interrupt me for the next half hour. Yeah. Uh, um, maybe 45 minutes. um so it turns out the most interesting thing about this was is that this tellerite in his business actually had murdered this orion's uh sister and uh in cold blood pretty much really actually very violent i mean again that Mm -hmm. i I think when i i said earlier that this was a teen rated comic I, i really do think so it this is not um yeah, I, I wasn't meaning that because of the sexuality as much. Is that there's some serious things going on in this comic? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, compared to most Star Trek comics, absolutely. Uh, and so she has the Telluride on the ground. She's pointing the pistol at him uh, as she's kind of recounting what had happened to to her sister, to Pike, and he he talks her out of killing him. Um, obviously, he he doesn't want to have to arrest her too, and. I love that she calls him my brave captain because they do kind of have this, I don't know, they have this thing going on. So way to go, Pike. Um, <laughs> and then then she pulls something out of her, her you know, um, cleavage. And it's a data recording of, of all the, the crimes, the bounties uh, over the years, uh, as well as the genetic um, reading proving his identity to this Tellerite. So basically, she's given him everything he needs to yeah. put this guy away. What's funny about this, though, is that, again, the way it's drawn, I mean, it's 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 pretty graphic. And, you know, it's it's common in TV movie stories, you know, where, you know, a woman needs to hide something and she'll slip it down there uh, in between her breasts. And but normally it's, you know, she's wearing a blouse or something. So it's, it's actually concealed. It's a place to conceal something. And it's some it's a place where normally no one is going to touch, you know, to find out. But in this case, I mean, there isn't really much there to hide it behind or conceal it. So I don't know if this is really the best hiding place. Well, you know, it's not like she has pockets uh, right. in that thong. No, that's true. Uh, and then, of course, yeah. you know, uh, really, this was the only place. So I guess um, this, is the best, this is the this is the most covered place for her to hide. It really is the most covered place. Um, <laughs> so it was great. Uh, you know, they they he's. Pikes calls security. They're going to haul this guy away. And uh, she starts putting the moves on him at this point. And she said, she says, uh, are you still sure my charms hold uh, no favor? And he said, well, and then he's immediately interrupted right before they're going to kiss, saying that uh, the Commodore is wanting to talk to him. Uh, and as he turns around, she's already gone. Poor Pike. Uh, it, it was almost a fun conference. Almost, almost. So what rating would you give this one, Matthew? You know, Chris, I, reading through this comic, I think the thing was is I had no idea what was going on. Um, I I think that the uh, the subject matter, that kind of dark and gritty underworld thing really kind of fit uh, in a lot of ways that, that, that seedy underbelly that we saw in Enterprise that really exists in the galaxy. So I, mm-hmm. I liked that as well. Um I enjoyed having a Pike story like this. Uh, you know, 
before his accident, but, you know, obviously after the Enterprise. Um, so that was interesting. Uh, and I thought it was great to kind of see the Orions, you know, normally we just think of them as being bad guys or just completely disreputable, but I thought it was great that to have a whole other side that, you know, she's trying to avenge her sister who's been brutally murdered. All of that together, I actually really enjoyed this comic. I thought it was good and it had nothing to do with the fact that she's wearing very little in the comic. It was actually, the storyline was actually quite good. And so, yeah. I'd say um, I'd give this uh, eight out of ten uh, well-placed Orion throwing knives. Oh wow! Okay, nice hurting. Yeah, I guess I'm with you on it uh, pretty much. You know, the artwork is interesting. The storyline is unique. Yeah, we don't know where, where this is going. We get a look back at Pike as well, uh, and they do a good job of picking up, like you said, the development of the Orions uh, through Enterprise. So. I guess I'll give this one seven skimpy outfits. Yeah, that's a good one, I think. So next, we turn to the Romulans. And this is, uh, I believe, to John Byrne's first Romulan comic. And he would go on to write others. And so this is very cool to see um, his work. One, um, you've got great artwork by John Byrne throughout the entire comic. And uh, this one is set um, in that time period where, you know, we don't know a lot about Romulans. Um, you know, this it seems to be set very much in that time period when um, they are really mastering the cloak, finally, um, right. and creating what we think of as their bird of prey. And this is the first time we see it because the Praetor is showing off the bird of prey to his um, top commander in the fleet, and so, um, and that they've created a ship that's it's radically smaller for them, but it's supposed to be basically their defiant. That's what I like to think of is they've kind of created their defiant, um, and so this commander is is looking over this ship with the Praetor, kind of wheeling him around, showing him how great this ship is, and um, so yeah, it's a great start. I mean, you're you're seeing some things in the Romulans. Now, did you notice, Chris, that apparently for Romulans, everything has been pastels? Like, yeah. like I don't know why um, everything is uh, pastel-y uh, on Romulus. It, well, you, you know, know, it's um, it's Romulus, Romans. It's the it's the um, you know, Easter is a big holiday there. Apparently. I don't know why um, Easter egg hunts, you know, all, all around the uh, the city there. Pastel colors for Easter eggs. Therefore, pastel is a big color. Okay, okay. Does that make sense? I mean, uh, I don't know. Yeah, sure. Sure, um, whatever. So, uh, it's pretty cool. I mean, we've got them showing around the ship that the, the commander who, who is walking through the ship, those, is um, thinking that everything seems very cramped. It's small. The Praetor keeps talking about, though, how awesome it is. There's the latest technology. Everything is state-of-the-art. It reminds me of, and you remember in Jurassic Park, where uh, they keep going around, and he keeps telling them that they spared no expense? You know? Um, Mm -hmm. This is really what this Praetor seems like to me. Like, he's, he's John Hammond in Jurassic Park, and, oh, you know, we spared no expense, you know? So... 
it's very interesting. Most interesting thing, though, Chris, did this this storyline kind of remind you of anything? Like a, a famous movie, maybe, with a former James Bond about a submarine captain who was going to take a Russian sub that was made only for war. And Oh, yeah. 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 You know, it's been... That was a great movie. It's been so yeah. long since I saw that. Yeah. for Red October. Yes. So I was shocked because I really just felt like this was a complete ripoff of The Hunt for October. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's my terrible Sean Connery impersonation. But uh, as I was reading this comic, really what the storyline is, is that the Praetor is showing off the brand new ship. Um this ship that's built for only one thing for war and yeah. his commander realizes that this is the case and he's been given command of this ship little does he know that not only is the praetor a jerk but he's also in league with the klingons who are yeah. actually using this praetor um to be able to get their own cloak so it's kind of answering that question of how the klingons get the cloak but it's also answering the question of where does the Romulan bird of prey come from? And uh, I thought that that was, those two things were really interesting. But the most interesting thing was, is that this storyline, it, it does end before um, the the commander, you know, turns over the ship. But it does seem like to me that that's his plan. Yeah, He's going well, to and- either destroy it himself or he's going to turn it over to the Federation. Uh, so, so you read it that way, okay? Because I read this as pretty much a direct prequel to Balance of Terror, and the commander actually is Mark Leonard's character, the Romulan commander well, from Balance yeah, of Terror, who's tearing it, the ship. Yeah, it could be that too. Um, it, it it just seemed like to me that um, his whole conversation with his wife, uh, um, and um, then this friend of his that's a doctor that he has this conversation with and they talk about how we have arrived upon the same page. I think the Praetor's new toy is for war and war yeah. alone. And, and so I just thought that, that was really interesting, but I think you're, you, you may be right as well that they're probably kind of alluding to that. This is going to be well, the balance of terror. Well, I feel like that actually explains why the Romulan commander that was played by Mark Leonard in balance of terror is so trepidatious about the mission that they're on in the first place. And it's like you said, if you build a ship with a cloak like this and you're going to send it out to the neutral zone, you're going to cross over, you're going to attack, you know, Federation colonies along the neutral zone. I mean, those are all acts of war, but you can tell that the Romulan commander in balance of terror, he's not all in on this. Like you feel like he's, this is not how he would want the Romulan people to to move forward and, and live their lives. That's how I feel anyway when I watch Balance of Terror. And so I do feel like this story establishes why he's acting that way in that episode and why he feels that way in the first place by yeah. setting up his wife and his son and his suspicions of this Praetor. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's really good. And I think that that's what makes this comic really interesting to see all of this played out. Um, now, I, I did think that it was a little bit interesting because um, the the Klingon in the episode seems to be so much more devious and like um, really working the, the 
the political maneuverings that we you would kind of expect, I think, the Romulans to exhibit yeah, and not a Klingon. Right, so yeah. I felt like in some ways that was reversed there. Well, it could also just be that this Praetor is, is a, a total prat and, and being played because all he really does care about is, is basically being emperor. Of, I, of, I think that you know, that's... I think that that is the the flip that we see. It illustrates the flip that we see, and we've talked about this on a number of shows over the years here on the network, between the Romulans and the Klingons from TOS to the TNG era. Because in the TOS era, the, the Klingons were the Soviet Union, and they were, I think, more the scheming, calculated scheming enemy that the Romulans become later on and the Klingons become just the warriors. They're like the samurai warriors in TNG. So I think here what you see with this Klingon would be something like you might suspect that you've got the Soviet Union, you've got the KGB, you know, working the spy game behind the scenes and being very, very devious. And so it fills out a place for how we think of Klingons now. But it actually, you know, maybe is is fairly accurate for TOS. Yeah, and I, I guess you're. I didn't really think about that. It's been a while since I've been through TOS and and watched that, and I forget. Well, you know, there are a lot the, of Romulans, right? Really, in TOS in the first place. So, and and both with the Klingons and the Romulans, there's really not that much of either one of them in TOS. But when they are there, and what the concept of them is presented as, especially with the Klingons, is that they they were you know the Cold War foe. They they were the yeah, Soviets, definitely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I definitely get that. And uh, on a whole, this is another great comic, I think, um, for that we were reviewing here. I, I love, uh, the storyline. It's very, uh, well done. I think, um, I enjoy John Byrne's artwork. I think the characters are all very fun. It's visually appealing. Yeah. You get to see a lot of Romulus. Uh, Romulus does remind me a little bit too much of like Krypton <laughs> in <laughs> the old yeah. uh, Star Wars, uh, the old Superman comics. Yeah. Um, but on a whole, I think this is a, a is a great comic, really giving us some background, like you said, to the balance of terror um, and that character. And so I, I would say that this is, um, I would say this is a good seven to uh, seven. Yeah, I, I'd give this a solid seven. Hot Romulan wives out of 10. Oh, wow. Well, I'm going to give it eight shades of pastel. So, Chris, the, the last comic that we have uh, in the Alien Spotlight is the Gorn. Um, and uh, this one is, is very interesting because it, it takes place in a completely, uh, really different time period. Uh, we, we jump to the movie era. Uh, this is before the Wrath of Khan, but after um, the uh, motion picture. And so we're in the maroon jackets, my favorite uniforms. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Chris, I don't know about you, but wouldn't you love to have that brand new Wrath of Khan uniform that just came out? Did, oh, did yeah. you see that sweet thing? I mean, it's like $2,000 or something. These are my favorite uniforms as well. And, you know, one thing that we see here in this comic, too, with these uniforms is we see the full, the full body, the female uniform with the long skirt and the black boots. And those also look really fantastic for the the female officer uniforms. Yeah, they do. Uh, uh, well, and interestingly enough, apparently they also have a slit all the way up to the top of your your thigh. Well, uh, which yeah, I mean, it, well, yeah, it's apparently. space, Matthew. You need that. Yeah, 
Um, I guess it makes it easier for running. Um, so anyway, probably yeah, because yeah. because the boots you know are, are great for running. So you want to make sure that the legs yes. can yeah. Move as long as the heel also. is very tall, um, <laughs> it, it would be great. So so this is really interesting. I mean, uh, this is actually uh, Captain Terrell, who's the captain of the Reliant, um, mm-hmm. and Chekhov, and they are back from. They're making their way back to the Reliant. They've been on a, a medical mercy mission at a Federation observatory post. And so they had ferried their doctor there and they're on their way back and something goes wrong with their shuttlecraft and they are forced to land on a planet. And they land on this this jungle planet and pretty much everything goes wrong for them. I, I just, you know, their transmitter's broken, everything's broken, everything's going wrong. Little do they know they've landed on a planet that the Gorn are using uh, as a hunting ground. Um, they use it as a hunting training ground. Yeah. Uh, they don't. <laughs> um, so th- I thought this was interesting. Um, two, mainly because, Chris, for me, the, w- the way that they take the Gorn here, um, you automatically think that this is going to be something that's, you know, they've got to fight, yada, yada, yada. But I was, I was pleasantly surprised, you know, I, you know, that they don't take the Gorn in that direction. Yeah, it's interesting. The way the Gorn are presented here is that the Gorn are like us. You know, they want peace also, and they're very thoughtful, and they they want to show that they are as equally powerful as the Federation by exhibiting goodwill on their side and reciprocating uh, past help from the Federation. Did you buy that? I thought it was, um, it's an interesting take on the Gorn, but it's, it's also a little bit hard for me to believe. Um, well, you know, uh, we don't know tons about the Gorn. Um, and so really you can make whatever you want up. Right. Uh, and, and there's not a lot to have to, to, um, I mean, honestly, they're only seen one time. And then yeah. they're well, really barely and then there's ever mentioned with the baby Godzilla. Yes, um, uh, but uh, that's a mere episode Gorn, and that's true. so uh, yeah. you really don't get the Gorn uh, ever in the Prime Universe except for one time. So there's really not again a lot to go on. I thought that this was interesting that their idea of honor is is quite different than the Klingon honor. Um, and that they don't want to be, like you said, shown up by the Federation because Kirk has saved, um, you know, their representative on Cestus Three, even after the huge massacre that had been laid uh, bare by the Gorn themselves on that outpost. And um, I, I think that that made for some uh, pretty interesting storytelling and much more interesting than them just being bloodthirsty, you know, right. dinosaurs. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, kind of what we saw on that Mere Enterprise episode. And, and again, yeah. I don't take that Gorn as being all Gorn because one, again, it's the Mere episode of Enterprise. So you, you can't really compare. And if that was what that Gorn is like in the Mere episode of Enterprise, then that probably means that the Gorn in, you know, the Prime Universe aren't quite as like bloodthirsty and crazy. So that's a good point. Yeah. 
Well, it definitely makes for a more interesting story. Yes, because the comic would not have been interesting if it was just the Gorn. Uh, and this one's kind of graphic too. You know, we talked about the Orion one with the stabbings and stuff. Uh, this one has a lot of blood in it. This is again not not um, your normal Star Trek fare. But if the whole issue had been, if the whole comic had been them walking into traps on this planet and being uh, torn to pieces by the Gorn and just trying to escape with their lives, uh, the few of them that could manage to, to get off this planet, it would not have been a very interesting story. So, so I think that the angle that they take here is very much the Gene Roddenberry Star Trek angle of like, they're the enemy but they're they're more similar to us than we would imagine, and you cannot judge them just based on how they look. Right, exactly. Um, so the the Federation crew it, it spreading out, trying to figure out where they are, trying to find some way. Obviously, their uh, transmitter is broken. Everything is going wrong for them, and uh, then one of their their crewmen steps on a trap which takes two huge logs like star wars style return of the jedi style yeah it smashes that you know at st right yeah uh and just smashes this guy this guy one guy yeah exactly like a pancake and he he dies um pretty pretty quickly and like you said it's it's pretty gruesome um it's not a it's not a, a good scene and so and then at the same time that happens, they realize he's dead. They they pick up on a tricorder that there is something moving towards them. So they um, they get up. They they're actually climbing um, uh, some rock formations to try and, and 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 see what is coming next to them. And they they look through their binoculars and they they see that it's the Gorn coming at them. And so um, they're trying to get ready. Uh, for what they think is going to be an attack. And they're kind of laying suppressing fire at the Gorn. The Gorn really don't understand what's going on because for them, they're going out on a rescue mission. And so a Gorn kind of gets behind them, like flanks them and comes up the backside. Yeah. And he's the doctor. And startles, right. And he's a doctor and he startles one of the security guards there and the security guard shoots him because obviously he doesn't realize what's going on. Right. Well, I mean, can you blame the guy? I mean, if 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 I were standing there and this gigantic reptile suddenly is right in my face, I might be a little bit um, trigger happy too. Right. Exactly. They figure out. They realize that. Look, this was the doctor. They realize that this has been a humanitarian mission for the Gorn all along, and he's not quite dead. He's not quite dead. Um, I'm not dead yet. Yeah, I'm not dead yet. Shut up, you'd be dead in a minute. Which always just makes me think of the cat being hit. <laughs> yes. Rare. Oh god. Put a money anyway, python there for everyone. Exactly. Have no idea what um, I'm talking about. Yeah. So they basically what happens? They bring the doctor back. They're able to save his life, and then as the Gorn surrounds the shuttlecraft, they are able to talk it through. Which, again, like you said, it's it's very Gene Roddenberry uh, idea of Star Trek. This idea that our enemy isn't really our enemy if we know them. Right. Which I think is, you know, honestly was was actually pretty cool to see. 
Um, and it was actually kind of neat, I think, Chris, the choice to make um, this Terrell, Captain Terrell, because we'd never mm-hmm. seen him except for, you know, Star Trek Two and, yeah. and and Chekhov kind of seeing him as being a first officer and everything. And so I thought it was interesting, too, the very last panel, uh, the Gorn are talking to each other and they say, I, for one, will be glad when these humans are yeah. gone. And he says, I agree, these mammals give me the creeps. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which I just thought was pretty funny. Uh, They're all whispering so, to each other over there as, um, yeah. as the, the humans are getting back onto the shuttle. Yes. Uh, now, as you said there, it says these humans. Uh, by the end of this comic, I was referring to this to myself as the ass comic. Yes. Because throughout ass. here, no, I mean ass. <laughs> the ass yes. comic. <laughs> because ass. So many times in here when they write the word as, it's A-S-S-S-S-S-S over and over to the point where I'm like, I get what you guys are doing, but but did you read this and did you know what it looks like over and over and over throughout the comic? Yeah, I thought that was funny too. So, you know, Chris, I guess if I was going to rate this, I'd probably rate it, you know, I'm going to give this... Six and a half asses. <laughs> okay. Um, I guess that uh, I will give this one seven altruistic reptiles. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, that's it. That's the, the first group of Alien Spotlight comics. Between last week's show and this week's show, we've taken you through all seven of those. Matthew, any quick Final thoughts on the whole series? Um, you know, I think that on a whole, um, I, I really in, enjoyed most of them. I, I thought it was interesting to see, you know, the, the aliens of Star Trek be in a spotlight. So that was really great. Um, and I think it's worth checking out. Um, and I, I really do hope that IDW will digitally put out the second volume of their alien spotlight as well because that would be a lot of fun to see and so hopefully it'll do that um it just reminded me that there's a lot of idw comics that are probably not available digitally yet. oh there are lots um, of them yeah. And yeah. so i i do hope that they will continue to to get that back catalog out and honestly too the, the the restoration job that's going on with some of the star trek comics we've seen like gold key and other things yeah i'd really like to see that say um some of the other creators of, of uh, Star Trek comics like the Windstorm and, and all that. Yeah. I'd like to see those remastered and, and put out digitally or just, uh, you know, in a book form too. So. Yeah. I'd, I would buy them just so we don't have to keep reading them off of those terrible PDFs that we have. Oh, goodness. Yes. Yes. It's great. I mean, it's great to have those because it's you can't really put your fingers on those old comics necessarily, not exactly. easily. But it's not a great reading experience, let's be honest. No, it's not. So yeah, I enjoyed these. I thought that yeah. it, on a whole that they were fun and that I'm, I'm glad that we decided to to go ahead and go through them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Alien Spotlight comics are not the only thing that we've been talking about on Trek FM over the past week. So here are some other things that you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Where no man has gone before a comic versus episode. They talk about how we just picked up this psychiatrist from uh, from Alderbon. Alder, shoot, Alderon. This is called Alderon. Earl Grey. All good things. In a universe where Troy is dead, 
The Enterprise D lives on. That's all I want to say. It's the only thing that matters. The Ready Room. Simple Defense. Ducat recorded messages, obviously, for a lot of different um, scenarios. Isn't it funny to think of him, like, you know, whatever, 10 years before this episode, like, yeah. you know, putting a day aside. It's like, I have to do, I have to sit in front of a camera <laughs> and just think of ways they could screw us. The orb. Till death do us part. His are, are, are very quizzical in nature. They, they're of the scientist. They're of the somebody who who is willing to accept, okay, where? what is this reality? What's going on? She's just all like, tell me what to do right now. You know, like, she, right. she, there's nothing spiritual about her. To the journey! Voyager Season 4 Marathon. I was working full-time on top of being a full-time student, and I... Listen, I don't, I don't want to hear your excuses, okay? I don't want to hear them. <laughs> like, life was happening, and... A great man once told me, if something's important to you, you make the time. Warp 5. Organians on Enterprise. Part of what this episode of Enterprise is about for me is it's the search for the Organian society to to find compassion again. Commentary, Trek stars. Cliff Bull and the X-Files, Bad Blood. It's actually kind of odd because the audience can piece together the narrative flow better than, you know, their boss. That's because their boss didn't have the uh, brilliant direction of Cliff Bull to uh, observe. Literary Treks. Greg Cox, no time like the past. The one thing I had to be very careful of, and this was another sort of potential minefield that I had to navigate, was nobody in Kirk's time knows who the Borg are. So she can't like, oh, hi, I'm seven of nine. I'm a former Borg. You know, they don't know the Borg. She has to be careful not to tell them the Borg. And introducing Continuing Mission, our newest show all about fan series and independent productions. Star Trek continues with Doug Drexler. Everybody who does a Star Trek show in CG, the first thing they do is make the ship 947 feet long. Well, there's no way it's going to look the same because the ship that they shot on television wasn't 2,000 feet long. It was 11 feet long. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and get your daily Trek Talk fix. We have new Trek Talk for you every day of the week, and you can find them in a wide variety of places, including on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Windows Phone, Xbox Zoom, or you can stream or download from the website. So go grab some shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. And if you'd like to share your thoughts on the Alien Spotlight comics or anything else that we've talked about here on the show, you can do that in a variety of ways. You can go to trek.film slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose Literary Treks, and that will come to both Matthew and me by email. You can also send us a voicemail through the website, or you can go to our forums at trek.film slash forums to talk to us and other listeners about the shows. If social media is your thing, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. And you'll find us on Twitter where we're always tweeting away about Star Trek under username trekfm. And while you're there online, if you enjoy the show and you have an extra minute, drop by iTunes and leave us a star rating and a written review. We love to hear from you and it does help other fans find the Star Trek books and comics talk as they're searching the iTunes store. It only takes a minute, so please drop by and let us know what you think about the show. All right, uh, Matthew, when you're not, uh, you know, perusing the uh, latest issue of Orion Slave Girl Monthly, where can people find you? Well, Chris, you can find me at uh, MattRushing02 on Twitter. 
you can also find me doing the orb with you where we talk all things deep space nine all the time that's all we talk there uh, that's what we called it the orb uh, and then you can find me on my own personal blog at 42lifebetween.wordpress.com. Now, Chris, when you are not um, just enjoying your time with some ramen and ale, kicking back with a despotic praetor, where can we find you? <laughs> you know, that praetor was something. I couldn't tell. He was like a cross between Alfred E. Newman, <laughs> Willy Wonka, and Kim Jong-il. The way the the crazy looks, the big ears, the constant clapping. Yeah, he was something else. Well, you can find me on Twitter as well. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username, as well as on my personal website at cbrianjones.com. And then elsewhere on the network, besides doing the orb with Matthew, you can find me on Warp 5, where we talk exclusively about enterprise. You can find me on Matterstream, where I talk to scientists and writers and creatives about um, generally non-Star Trek things or things inspired by Star Trek or loosely related to Star Trek. I also have a show called Continuing Mission, which is all about fan series and independent Star Trek productions. And then you can also find me every week with hosts from all over the network and special guests on The Ready Room, where we talk about Star Trek news and all five live action Star Trek series. Before we let you go, we'd like to remind you one more time about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com, the best source for audiobooks you'll find online. As a Trek FM listener, you can get one free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible. If you go to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm and sign up, you can choose Probe, which we talked about in news today, or anything that you want. And if you decide not to stick with Audible at the end of the trial period, there's nothing to lose because you get to keep that book. But by supporting Audible, you'll be helping us keep literary treks coming to you every week. Again, that's at audibletrial.com slash trekafilm. So go check it out. And we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. One more way you can help us keep literary treks coming to you is to make a donation to the network. The shows are free for you to download, but they do cost money for us to produce and distribute. And if you go to trek.fm slash donate, we have different levels of contributions for you to choose from. And we have some original alien illustrations as a thank you. So uh, go check it out at trek.fm slash donate. And your support helps us pay for the cost of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring the shows to you each week. And we really thank you for helping us keep the network going. Thank you so much for joining us. And until next time... Live long and read on. What do you call that light reading? To each his own, number one.